The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Well, good morning, church. My name is Dave Shrine. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain Park, and I have the privilege of overseeing uh, pretty much all of the media and communications here at the church. So videos, graphics, website, pretty much anything that can be seen digitally or printed digitally, um, I I get to be a part of that, and I absolutely love it. I also get to spend time um, uh, working with our students, both middle school and high school. And um, I just want to say that if, if you have a student in, over in Student Union, um, thank you so much for allowing myself and the other leaders uh, to, get to, to get to spend time with them um, like we do. It is so encouraging for me to see our students here at Mountain Park making choices in the affirmative towards the gospel that I know will impact their lives and the kingdom of God for the rest of their days. So thank you so much for allowing us to work with your students. God is doing some great things in our student ministry, and it is very, very cool to be a part of. Well, this morning, yeah, woo! <laughs> this morning, we are continuing in this track record series, and it's, and it's the, a series where we take different songs that glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and trying to wrap some history and some culture around them so we can build a track record um, with these songs here at our church, here at Mountain Park. And the song that I get to share with you today, uh, which I'm very, very pleased to do, is the song that we just sang called Always. And in my humble opinion, I believe that this is one of the strongest songs that we have sung here at Mountain Park. And I'm going to take the next several minutes to, you know, kind of prove my case to you. But I love this song. And before we go any further, I just want to throw the verse uh, or the chorus lyrics back up on the screen and, and look through those. It says, Oh my God, he will not delay. He is my refuge and he is my strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true and my God will come through always. And it's that last phrase, my God will come through always, that I want to take our time uh, to look at this morning. As I was preparing for today and kind of sat down and letting the lyrics of the song wash over me, I landed on that phrase, my God will come through always. And I quickly began to think of what I would consider to be a sister phrase um, to to that one. And and that phrase would be, God is in control. And as I kind of weighed the two phrases back and forth and I kind of thought about, you know, God is in control, I started to think, well, I I like saying my God will come through always and and here's why. You see, my God is in control to me personally, though though it's completely true, a lot of times when I say it, it feels like it's a bit of a throwaway statement. And what I mean is when I'm sitting across from another person and they're sharing with me their lives, what's going on, the good, the bad, the ugly, the tragedy, the pain, a lot of times... When, you, when I say just, you know, well, God is in control, it almost feels like it's a throwaway statement. And I may as well be saying to them, I got nothing for you. I mean, I, I can sympathize with you, but I really don't know what to say to that. And so God is in control loses its effectiveness because I think that it can be taken so many different ways. You know, in, in terms of Scripture, we know what God is in control means. But in the, in the heat of those moments where you're trying to bring comfort and you're trying to bring some sort of, um, you know, order to chaos that's surrounding us, saying God is in control can mean all sorts of different things. It can mean, um, well, God is in control and he's letting this happen. Somebody can take it as well and he's letting this happen. Or God is in control could mean to somebody, yep, God's in control and he's the one doing this to you. 
You should have been better. Or, or they could take it to mean, you know, what, what I think most of us mean when we say it is, God's in control, there's nothing for you to fear. But you see with the phrase, my God will come through always, really, I don't think there's the ability for us to mistake what that means. Because it's a phrase that insinuates action. It's a phrase that insinuates and puts our God in a mental picture of he's not standing by watching. He's not standing by idle, just seeing what's going on and not taking any motion, any movement towards it. I think it insinuates a God who is very aware of what's going on, who is intimately involved in the details of our lives and the worlds around us. And I think it insinuates that God has a plan, he has a strategy, and when you say, my God will come through always, you're saying that God will come through. Always. And I love that statement. You see, I think a lot of us, we really do pray for God to come through for us. All sorts of different types of prayers. And one prayer that I guess I will share with this morning that, you know, I'm a little bit less than proud to admit is um, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, guys, this is a tortured franchise, right? I mean, we just, Steve Nash, I mean, it stings now, I mean, and especially to the Lakers, but either which way, it's a tortured franchise, and though I haven't gotten down on my knees, you know, and, and you know, prayed scripture over the Suns, I have had moments where I'll have the thoughts in my head, God, Please, can, can you please just bring back Sean Marion and just make something happen so Amari comes back and Joe Johnson and, and you know, now bring Steve Nash. And, and the Spurs are old. We can beat them. I, know, I guess I know we would be old too, but with, the, with low, the Lord on our side, no one can be against us. LeBron James can't be against us, right? And so, you know, we pray these silly prayers and I would feel completely foolish, but I have to believe that there's some people here in this room that have prayed or at least thought something similar to that. And I do not doubt for one minute that there are some of us in the room looking at the upcoming Cardinals season praying something like this. Dear God, thank you for all that you've done. You are so good to us. Please bring Kurt Warner out of retirement. Amen. <laughs> right? I cannot tell you how many times I've thought of that over the last two seasons. And we put our hope and we put our trust in God, and I believe he's on the cardinal side. We'll see what happens this year. But we pray these different prayers, and I think a category that we have all put prayer deposits in that could be probably relevant to all of us, no matter how young or how old we are, is the category of our finances. I think we have all made a prayer request of God to come through for us in some way, shape, or form when it comes to our finances. Now, um, there's a little game uh, that, that is a, it's a finance game, and I used to play it. I don't know if you did, but, but it goes like this. The rules are you have to be between the ages of 18 and 23, and it's called debit card slot machine, okay? So what happens, you have to be between 18 and 23. You go to the store to get all the things that you need, and you walk around, put it all in your cart, and you make your way up to the cashier knowing full well that there's probably not enough money in your bank account to cover all the purchases. But you know what? We're going to see if God will come through for us. We'll go up. We're going to slide it anyway. So you go up, and, you know, they tell you the total, and, and it's like, oh, God, please come through. Approved. Yes. Hallelujah. And you, you walk out with your top ramen, your mac and cheese, and your brand new iPod Touch. The things that are just essential to every 18 to 23-year-old, uh, you know, student or whatnot. And so debit card slot machine. I, I, if you've played it, you know, we could talk about it later and uh, victories and losses. But, but for me, the finance piece is very, very relevant. I've played debit card slot machine, and I've also made a whole lot of mistakes. And one of those mistakes is, um, well... Let me share this first. I love to shop. I, I, I absolutely love to shop and to buy things and look at merchandise and whatnot. And um, 
One of my ways of relaxing is going to the mall and just walking around and looking at everything. I don't necessarily have to buy something, although it's good if I do, uh, just looking at stuff. Now, if somebody just passed out next to you, don't worry. It's just a Dave Ramsey graduate. Prop them back up. Help them get their breath. Help them catch their breath. It'll be okay. Remind them that their credit cards are, cu- are cut up, and, and I think they'll be okay the rest of the morning. But for me, for me, when I was 18 years old, I applied for my first ever credit card. And I got that thing in the mail. I opened it up. You peel off, you know, the card from the paper. And right there it says, your credit line is, 18 years old, $6,000. Y'all, my face went from side to side with the biggest smile like the Grinch with a maniacal plan. I was 18 years old, and I suddenly had $6,000 to spend on whatever I want. So what did I buy? What any good 18-year-old boy would buy. A couple game systems, a few games, take the ladies out for a nice night on the town, a good dinner, and before I knew it, 1000 That's okay. It's doable. I can pay it off. No real expenses. I'm 18, right? 2000 3000 5000 Before I knew it, I had nearly maxed out my $6,000 credit card. So I wised up, I went out, and I kept the fun going by getting myself a $3,000 credit line credit card. Month one, thousand. Month two, two thousand. And before I knew it, nearly maxed out that credit card. So I went ahead and I started going to the stores that I shopped at mostly to get their credit cards. So Guitar Center and I, I guess I don't shop at JCPenney's, but for some reason there was a deal and so I got myself a JCPenney credit card as well. I don't know that I've ever really used it, but I got all these different credit cards. And let me tell you, by the time I was 22 years old, between credit card debt, my car, and some other things, 22 years old, I had accumulated in debt. Yep. Now, when you find yourself in these type of circumstances, and I'm not naive to think that maybe some of us are finding us in similar circumstances this morning, one way or another. It's It's not abnormal to feel like you have walls around you, and there is no way of rising up out of that and making progress. It feels like you are trapped. You see, I had prayed so many times for God to come through for me on this. I prayed that God would, you know, he, he's an infinite God. He can do whatever he wants. That he would write a check for me, and I don't know who he banks with. You know, Golden Street Banks, there has to be a name on the check. And it would come through the United States Postal Service to my door. I would, you know, take it out of the mailbox like nothing, you know, fantastic happened. Like, oh, yeah, it's finally here. Cash it, pay off my credit card debt, feel a little bit guilty for a while, move on, and not let it happen again. Okay, it didn't happen like that, all right? It did not happen like that at all. But I think no matter how we arrive at our circumstances, whatever they are, we all have this, you know, ideal you know, fantasy of how God is going to come through for us. The prayers that we pray of, God, could you please just do blank, and then I will blank, you know? You, you fill, in, fill in the blanks with whatever it is for you. We've all got fantasies and, and, you know, ideas, and we become fixated on these visions of how God should come through for us. I dreamed of a magical check. But there's a reality that some of our dreams might be something like we'll wake up one day and the housing market will recover. God would just make it recover and we would no longer be underwater in our mortgages. Or we pray and ask God, please, just tomorrow when I wake up, would he or she come home from war? Like, I know you can, would you please? Like, just teleport them here. Or the last one, you, you, you go back in for testing and after you're done, the doctor comes back in the room and he says, I don't know how, but the cancer is gone or the sickness is gone. It's just gone. 
There's no way to describe it other than a miracle. And we get fixated on the ways we think that God needs to come through for us. All well-intentioned, right? But you see, uh, sometimes things do end up the way we picture them. But more often than not, I think we would all agree that God comes through, but not in ways that we would have necessarily planned for ourselves. Or, I know there's plenty of us in this room where we're still wondering, will God come through for me? Has he forgotten about me? Does he know what I'm experiencing? Where is he in all of this? Would you guys pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for giving it to us as a rock, as a guide, as a manifestation of who you are and what it is you want for your people. And God, I pray this morning that you would illuminate those scriptures, that you would illuminate your word, and that you would bring it to life, and that we would understand it. I'm not naive to believe that we are all in, this, all in the same place here, God. We are all located differently on our emotional, spiritual, relational, financial, whatever map it is. We are all over the place. But you, great God, know us intimately, and you know where we are, and I ask this morning that you would find us, meet us where we're at, and make a difference. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of your kingdom and the sake of your name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you guys want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews, we're going to go to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to share just a few stories. Now, I'd invite you to read Hebrews on your own sometime this week um, to capture all the stories. But we're going to read three particular stories of individuals who found themselves in circumstances you know, nothing that they had done, but found themselves in circumstances and needed God to come through for them in a big way. We're going to start in uh, verse 1. We're going to jump around. I'll tell you where we're going. And if you need, the verses will be up on the screen. It says, uh, chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Jump down to verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now go to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham had reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. And now if you jump to verse 31, it says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You see, these are just three individuals who desperately needed God to come through for them. You look at Noah and the daunting task of building an ark, okay? Like building a giant boat that was unprecedented for that day in the middle of a barren land, in the middle of the dry desert, okay? I have to believe that there were days where Noah would lay on the hay or whatever it was inside of his hut and say, Dear God, would you... Would you like, can I please just, you know, walk out of the tent and it would just be built? Like, I know you can. It would do wonders for your image. People doubt you. This would make them believe. It would be great for everyone. You know, it would give me some time to hang out with my kids, right? Don't you want me to hang out with my kids? Please, God, I know you can. But you know, 
I know that he had to pray that because for me, it's difficult for me to just get up an hour early each day to do a few stretches and an old man shuffle around my community. For Noah to get up every single day, swing a hammer at what a, pro- at what a, a project that would seem to be nearly impossible to complete, that had to be difficult. But God came through. After 70 to 90 years, it's estimated the ark t- took to build, Noah and his family boarded the ark, the rains came down, The world was destroyed, and he and his family were spared. God came through for Noah. If you look at the third story that I told, Rahab, in the book of Joshua, it said that the Israelites were going to be taking over the city that Rahab lived in. Rahab, a prostitute, somehow came across the knowledge just by way of, um, you know, word of mouth or even maybe perhaps just God divinely giving her this knowledge that her city stood no chance against the Israelites, that God would wipe out her city and everyone in it. Now, when I, I've never faced imminent death, but I believe that when you face imminent death, there is a depression, especially for those who do not know the Lord Jesus and do not have hope in him. There is a depression that could sink over you and just wipe out all of your energy and take your emotions down. And I believe that Rahab would have probably been feeling something very similar to that. But what happened is the Israelites sent spies in ahead of the time to scope the place out and see what needed to happen. And they wound up coming into contact with Rahab. Rahab provided protection from them, from the city uh, guards who were going out, who had been tipped off that there were spies in their city. She protected them and asked them, since I have protected you, will you protect me when you guys come in and destroy everything? They agreed. And then when the Israelites came in, destroyed the city, Rahab and her family were spared. God came through. God came through for so many people, in the, and it's accounted in the book of Hebrews. And I want to tell you another story about how God used a man to come through for a group of people. The man that I want to tell you the story about is named Sam Childers. A little bit about him. He grew up in Pennsylvania, and um, like a lot of stories that we have, he started off wrong. He started off on the wrong path. But that wrong path did not correct, and he eventually came to the point where he started dealing drugs, and hard drugs at that. He got to marry a prostitute, or marry a stripper, and eventually served as an armed gunman for a drug lord in Pennsylvania. With the weight of the danger of the profession that he has chosen in his life, the thought of I could die at any moment moment began to haunt him, began to weigh down on him, and Sam decided I'm going to exit this life of crime and I'm going to work legitimately. So he got a job as a construction worker, working a legitimate job for a legitimate pay. His wife, meanwhile, got connected to a local church, became saved, brought Sam to that same local church. He became saved. And it was that decision to follow Christ that sent Sam Childers to the nation of South Sudan in Africa. The reason that Sam had gone to South Sudan is because that nation had been in the middle of a war that was tearing it apart, tearing the fabric of these people apart in their lives. And cities, uh, uh, villages had been destroyed by an organization called the LRA. And I'll say more about that in a second. But these cities and these villages are just destroyed. And so Sam went as part of an outreach organization to help rebuild these villages, rebuild the huts, drill wells so these people could have fresh water to help build them back up to where they once were and even set them off better and give them the good news of Jesus. While he was there, 
he came across the body of a young boy, probably 11 years old, who had stepped on a landmine, exploded, and been murdered. It was then and there that, it said, that he says, I dropped to my knees and I dedicated my life to the service of the Sudanese people. Now, the, the reason for all of this is, like I said, the LRA is a war organization um, that very recently, if it sounds familiar, it's because there was a huge campaign to bring to light, to bring to public knowledge, their de facto leader, Joseph Kony. And though there was a whole lot, uh, you remember Kony 2012? And there was a whole lot of you know, controversy surrounding the organization that put on the media blitz. But it is that organization, the LRA, that Joseph Coney associated himself with that is responsible, get this church, they are responsible for what's estimated to be between 30,000 and 60,000 abductions of Sudanese children. What happens is this. The LRA will go into a village in Sudan, South Sudan, they will burn it down. But before they leave that village, they will take all the young boys, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. They'll take them, they'll give them a machete or a gun, and they'll give them the choice of either join us and become like the men who have just stolen your life from you or die. And then the rest of the family, what happens is the sisters, the, the older kids, and the parents, if they're not assimilated into the army for slavery purposes, whatever evil men choose to do uh, in terms of slavery, either they're assimilated into that, or they're killed or exiled from everything that they know. Their entire village burned down, and they have nothing left. This is what's happening in South Sudan. When Sam Childers returned home from his outreach ministry trip over to South Sudan, he felt God was calling him to build an orphanage. And not an orphanage on the outskirts for those who were lucky enough to escape the war and the violence, but an orphanage right in the heart of the war zone, right in the heart of the land that was being, you know, trampled on by vicious criminals, war criminals, destroying all of these people's lives. He was said to be foolish, but he said, no, God has called me to do this. And so we built an orphanage. And after many trials and many struggles, staying true to what God had called him to do, that orphanage was built. And at any given time, they will hold what's estimated about 200 plus orphans. People who don't have, children who don't have moms and dads. They will hold them. They'll provide shelter, food, medical aid, education, and, and friendship. It's estimated that since he built this orphanage, there have been 1,000 students who God has come through for using the story and the sacrifice of Ch Sam Childers and given them hope beyond anything they could have had otherwise. When my wife and I became aware of this story and the pictures... Um, became very vivid in our mind. There was really not much to do other than cry. And so we cried, we mourned, the tears fell. And then we were speechless, not knowing what to say. I mean, what do you say to that? Words seem so inadequate, right? So inadequate. And then you let this feeling of guilt wash over you because you ask yourself, what am I doing? He's building an orphanage. What am I doing? Whose lives am I saving? Am I just building a kingdom to myself or am I making a difference in people's lives? 
And you see, it's so easy for guilt to wash over you. But before we got to the point of the enemy getting those lies inside of our head, we began to recall the story of our friends, Will and Carly Savoy. You see, Will is a pastor in Tempe. And his wife, Carly, had spent time overseas in Africa. And they learned about what's happening. And they brought home, they prayed, decided to be obedient to God, and they adopted two little girls. These little girls right here. Their names are Hawa and Kamisa, and they are sisters. Just take a look. That, guys, that is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You see, their response to these girls' circumstances that they found themselves in through no fault of their own, they didn't do anything to deserve to be orphaned. But Will and Carly's response was to embrace and be obedient to the call in James 1.27 that says, care for the orphan. And it was out of this obedience that God called them to adopt these two little girls. And after what seemed like an eternity, and door closed after door closed after door closed after door closed, where it didn't seem like these girls were going to be brought home, God came through. And Will and Carly started their family with two beautiful, beautiful girls. You see, we can either feel guilty about what we aren't doing, or... We can embrace the calling that every single person who is trusted in the name of Jesus has. I don't care what your story is. This command is for all of us. And the command is this. To be obedient, to love God, and love others above all else. In Mountain Park, we should know this. Because that's what we say we are about. Mountain Park Community Church. Loving God and loving others. Right? Loving God and loving others. You see, in obedience to God and his word, Will and Carly adopted these two little girls. Obedience first, they adopted these two little girls. Now, they're not changing the world with an orphanage. They're not housing, you know, 1,000 kids over the course of the years. They bring home these two little girls. They are changing those two little girls' lives. And a lot of us would think, well, the saving part is that now they're in America. They can have a life like all the other children. That's not the saving part. The saving part is that Will and Carly, look at them. Look at their faces. Will and Carly get to now show these two little girls who Jesus is and what it is like to have people who love them and are willing to become the hands and feet of Jesus, laying down their lives to be served. That is the saving part. And that is saving their world. It is making all the difference in their world. It's at this time I want to take a look at the verse, the verses of the song. It says this, My foes are many and they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war and I will not fear the storm, for I know that my help is on the way. Yes, my help is on the way. Trouble surrounds me and chaos is abounding, but my soul will rest in you. I will not fear the war and I will not fear the storm, for my help is on the way. Yes, indeed, my help is on the way. We look at the story of Sam Childers and we look at the story of Will and Carly Savoy and we see how God is coming through for those orphans, for those children. But what about those who do not make it to Sam's orphanage? What about those children who don't make it to a place where they can get the basic needs of every human just to survive? What about those kids? How is God coming through for them? And what about the children that Hawa and Kamisa left behind? Those orphans, who, those orphans who do not have a mommy and who do not have a daddy and probably won't be adopted if the statistics are true 
and will not have a family to call their own. How is God coming through for them? What is he doing for them? What about those who trust Christ but have lost a child or have lost a spouse or a friend or are going through circumstances that are just so heavy that there is no end in sight? Unavoidable circumstances. How is God coming through in that situation? And we look at the recent tragedy this past weekend in Colorado. Complete innocence, just going to see a movie. And tragedy strikes. How did God come through in that moment? Now that particular tragedy is a little bit close to home. Whether you're aware of it, of it or not, um, one, of the, one of the people who, who died, I believe he's 24 years old, he's a graduate of Desert Vista High School, I think the class of 2006. And so in our own community here, there are people um, mourning the loss of their son um, and wondering, where is God? I don't know what their faith is like. I don't know if they know Jesus or not. But that is a question that I, I believe that people ask. How is God coming through? Where is God in this? Where is the justice? And the thing is, is we pray for them. We mourn with them. But I want to continue in this message to, to show you what our response is to something like that. Let's look back at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11. It's going to be up on the screen if you need it. Hebrews 11. And we're going to go now to, um, let's see here, to verse 13. Hebrews 11, verse 13. Is that what I want to go to? No, I'm sorry. We're going to go to 35, and then we'll go back to 13 eventually. 35. It says this. Others were tortured and refused to be released. So we've talked about the saints. We've talked about the people who God has come through for. This is the flip side of the coin. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeered and jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. What's difficult about this passage is that it shows that through our obedience, some wrongs and injustices will not go, will not be healed. Through our obedience, there will be some things that are not restored. Atrocities will continue to happen. Atrocities that we know of and atrocities that are so evil that they're not even spoken of in public forums. We will never know what happens. And you see, death will continue to hunt us. It will continue to come after us in all of the ways and shapes and forms that it takes. Things will not be perfect here on this earth. We will, we will not bring restoration through to this earth. So, we must hang on to God and have faith that God will come through in the end. Now, if you go to Hebrews 11, verse 13, the one that I just said a minute ago, verse 13, it says this. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things, that they are aliens and strangers on earth, show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking for the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return there. Instead, they were longing for a better country. And this is the key. They were longing 
for a heavenly country. You see, folks, when Jesus comes, when Jesus returns, everything changes. Everything changes. What happens with death, that changes. When Jesus returns here on this earth, and because he has come already, everything changes. Our perspective can be so finite. We, we view life and we view God through our circumstances and through the world and how it relates to us. But as Mountain Parkers, we should know better than anybody else the whole shebang story in that it is about God and his story and how we relate to what God has done and what God is calling us to do. It's bigger than the here and now. You see, the verses of the song talk about this life. It talks about the trouble. It talks about the chaos. It talks about enemies that we will have. It talks about the difficult parts of life that some will find restoration and some will not. But the verse of the song, it talks about, or the chorus of the song, it talks about the life that is to come. It talks about what we have to look forward to. It talks about the hope that we have in Jesus. And so this song is a call to finding hope in our God, who we believe is good in this life, but is good without restraint in the life that is to come. And what I mean by that is we will experience the fullness of who he is. There will be more, no more death. There will be no, no more sorrow. There will be no more tragedy because our God will be unleashed and he will bring restoration to this world like we could never believe or imagine. Amen. You see, God does come through always. And in the case of my debt, remember, 22 years old, $55,000 in debts. In the case of my debt, um, God came through and it was paid off. But it was not the way I had wanted God to come through. Remember the magical check, you know, Golden Streets Bank? I thought that would, you know... I thought that was the best option. See, it wasn't the way I thought he would come through. How God came through was like this. God gave me a job. And he gave me the ability to use my talents and my abilities. And he gave me a place where I could pour my heart into serving him and serving others. And it just so happens that I was compensated fiscally for it. And after seven years of racking up this debt and trying to pay it off, I wrote that last check. Oh my goodness. You guys... Writing that final check and sending it off, it was such a good feeling. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that feeling. And some of you, with everything inside of you, are holding on to the notion that one day you can experience that, to write that final check, or to experience whatever it is that you're asking God to come through for you. You see, God came through for me. And I think our primary concern is often coming, seeing God coming through for us in this life. But remember, this life is temporary. We know that from God's word. It is temporary. It is not eternal. What matters is that God comes through in eternity, for eternity. That he is the one who ultimately comes through in the end and everything will be made right for the rest of existence, for the rest of time. You see, for those who have experienced loss, and feel as if God has forgotten about them and, and failed to come through, I want to say this, that there is hope. I know not everything is going to be restored, but there is hope. And the hope is this. Listen. God wins always. Let me say it again. No matter what you are going through, the hope is this. God wins always. 
God comes through always. And, the, and, and, and seeing God come through in this way, um, it's one of the most rewarding things ever. And his, his, his Bible actually describes what this looks like for us. And I want to read for you, uh, I want to read for you some passages that talks about God coming through in the end, in eternity. So we have hope. We have something to cling to. You don't need to open your Bibles. It's not going to be up on the screen. But I want you to listen to these words. If you, need to, if you need to close your eyes to internalize them and own them and make them yours, I'd invite you to do that. The first part that I'm going to read comes from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, and it says this. It says, as for you. So, so first and foremost, let me say this. First and foremost, God has come through for us in that he has sent his Savior. He has sent us our Savior, his Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for our sins, to accomplish what we could not do for us, ourselves. God has come through. Okay? Now, here's the rest of the story. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And then the next, the next part that I want to read is from 1 Corinthians. And it says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we will be changed. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself and put on the imperishable. And the mortal must clothe itself and put on immortality through Christ Jesus. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, and this is to us, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. This is a call to hope. This is a call to obedience. This is a call to love God and love others with a reckless abandon. And through our obedience to that commandment, we will find God leading us to become the hands and feet of Jesus to people who otherwise would have never known the testimony of what our great God has done for us. We will become Christ to those who do not know Christ. But it just starts with a simple obedience to love God and love others in everything that we do. We can't look down the road. We have to look at the here and now and see how God is calling us to minister and sacrifice and give ourselves in the service of other people. You guys, this is a call to hope. This is a call to resurrection here on this earth 
before Christ comes back and brings us the second resurrection of all of those who have gone before us and believed in his name. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet, that it brings us comfort. Lord, that your word brings us truth, that it brings us a solid rock on which we can build our lives, a solid rock of which we can be certain that you are not leading us in the wrong way, but you are leading us into victory as our great, great general. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. And we pray that you would receive our offering of praise here and now and that it would be sweet unto your ears and that we would walk out of this place knowing that you are our hope and that eternity is what we have our eyes set on, not what has happened in the past and not the finite, but eternity with you is what we are believing in. That is how you will come through for us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.